Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is, yes, you guessed it. It is just after 7.30. It's not 8.30, folks. I hope you all put your clocks my, back one hour. My watch says 8.30. Oh, <laughs> shame on you. I changed mine last night to make sure <laughs> I was doing right. <sighs> no, daylight saving has officially ended, folks. That means we're heading into autumn and winter, and mm. it's getting darker and darker, but... Uh, we will survive because we're all still here and uh, raring to go. So um, a very good morning to everyone out there, and I hope you're having a, a very happy Easter. Um, if you're sleeping in this morning, if the kids haven't got you up waiting for an Easter egg hunt, then uh, by all means feel free to join us and ring in this morning because um, maybe the phones will be a little bit quiet this morning. I don't mm-hmm. know. We'll see Who who's knows? up. <laughs> anyway, in the studio this morning, we've got Stephen Ryan and Gwen and Roger Elliott, so, and lots and lots of plants to talk about. So um, Yes, we'll fill the time if you don't ring. We certainly will. No <laughs> problems about that at all. But, uh, yes, we'd love to hear from you. Okay. Um, well, you've had a dramatic start to the morning, uh, Stephen. Flat yeah, batteries. Just <laughs> April Fool's Day crossed with uh, Easter Sunday. It doesn't uh, seem appropriate, does it's it? It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so I got up this morning getting ready to go and I went to turn the van on and it went... And I thought, uh-oh, this doesn't sound good. So then I went to pinch my partner's car, only to find that it had a dashboard light going on saying check engine, so I wasn't game to drive that down. So we had to get the RACV man out this morning to get me going. So I might have to call him again when I leave if the battery's still dead. Well, at least it's had a bit of a rundown. Yeah, well, it's had a rundown. It should start when I, I leave, but it sounds, it seems to me, I didn't leave any lights on or anything, so I no. know I didn't do that. Okay. And the last couple of days it has been a little bit, Funny no. starting. So I think I've got a battery that's actually dying. So I think you might need a new battery. Yeah, and why in the middle of the Easter holiday does that happen? Ah, uh, Murphy's Law. Yeah, because <laughs> I won't be able to get to the auto electrician and all of those people you won't. until probably Wednesday. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh well, such is life. We'll deal with it. Absolutely. RACV might come out and see me several times over the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they'll be rubbing their hands in glee. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Anyway, we have to say a very good morning to Gwen and Roger. Good morning, you two. Same same to you and uh, everybody out there. So, uh, what's happening in the Elliot world? I don't know. No flat batteries, at least. No, no, no we're, we're, we're fine. Yeah, no, good, 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 good. No, no, no. The garden's had water, so everyone's starving. Oh, we finally got that. Oh, Mind you. It's dried out already. It's dried out yeah. already. But yes. it did take the pressure off. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it was yeah. getting a little tedious. <laughs> it actually meant I didn't have to water for a day or two, yeah. which was great, but yeah. I've had to start again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was, you know, it was a bit of Mediterranean climate for a couple of months. <laughs> well, it certainly was. It you certainly know. was. Mm. But the, that little bit of rain did dampen the ground down a wee bit. Mm. I got, I got uh, a rush of blood because I'm going away in a couple of weeks. And so I cleaned out three of my vegetable plots, fed them, dug them, got them organised, got my broad bean seeds in, oh, planted wow. my garlic, uh, I put in <coughs> broccoli and cauliflower and carrot seed and parsley, and so I filled up three beds, and I hope before I go away to dig the, the next bed and get ready for my white tulips to go in and the asparagus plants. So, 
I've been really busy in the you garden. You have been. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just thought, well, I've only got two weeks to go. I can't leave the planting of any of those things really until I get back because by the time I get back... It'll be too end, late. Uh, it'll be too late to yep. get things in like broad beans and yep. and the garlic all have wanted to have gone in well before then. Oh, yeah. So it's all been planted and all put in place and that part of the veggie garden's looking rather... Naked but clean. <laughs> yeah, so give it a little time and it'll all move. Excellent. Mm, and you got a tour on Wednesday or something, I heard. Oh, yes. Well, actually, between now and when I go, I've got three groups coming through the garden. And so I've got one on Wednesday and I think I've got two on the following week. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two friends of botanic garden groups coming up. I think I've got either Benigo or Ballarat coming as well as uh, as Melbourne. And uh, and I've got a, a University of the Third Age group coming up as well. So, Goodness, so yeah, I've got a lot happening in the garden over the next two weeks before I go, but it will keep me on my toes and I'll keep the garden looking as tidy as I can over the next week or so so that it looks nice for everybody well the beauty of, of, of getting your garden ready for these visits is that it's going to be in, in fairly good nick for mm. going away when you come back hopefully it might uh, have gone completely well, the leaf fall will happen while i'm away yep. so it will get damp and soggy probably right. so i'll have a fair bit of cleaning up to do when i get home off all the paths and things but oh it's yeah. hard going away Stephen. Oh, I, can look, tell. I, I don't know how i manage uh and, and i don't know why i do it to myself you know, <laughs> all this travel to far-flung beautiful places and eating and drinking and having a lovely time it's, it's really difficult <laughs> but no it's actually quite good the, the garden's looking quite nice because of course i had a, a an asa tour up on the mountain uh, over the uh, period of Mifkus. Uh, so I had to get the garden up and ri- ripping ready for them to come through. And then it's just been a constant sort of keep it in tidying sort yep. of mode yep. with the next tours coming one after the other. Yep. So it's quite good, actually. And it does keep you on your, on your toes. And mm. When the pump in the fish pond breaks down and, uh, you know, all sorts of other things go wrong and you're rushing around trying to deal with all of that. And, yeah, yeah it does. It sort of works. <laughs> so w- listeners already know that you and I are off to France. Yes. But tell listeners where you're going to before the tour oh, starts. Yeah. Well, I'll still be in France. Uh, strictly speaking, yes, but. Uh, but I'm going to be on the island of Corsica, and Craig leaves tonight, so he's going over to do some walking with some friends, and then I'll be going over in a fortnight, and we'll tootle around in Corsica for a couple of weeks, and then I will meet up with you and Cordell and the rest of the group in Nice. Um, Menton. Uh, are we meeting in Menton? Yes, we're meeting in Menton. I thought we meant the airport in Nice. Uh, no, well, I'll already be in Menton. Oh, well, you two might be there, but I think I'm still meant to pick up the rest of the group in Nice. Right. I think they Sounds might be... a well-organised oh, tour. Boiled <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. You know, we're, we're well-organised, yes. So you may well be ahead of us a bit. But, yes, I know the rest of the group I'm supposed to meet in Nice. Okay. And then we'll be spending 21 days travelling around all over the place, having the best of times, uh, visiting gardens and museums and art galleries and eating, drinking, staying in really nice places. It yeah, should be fantastic. Mm. Looking forward to it. What plants do you expect to see in Corsica? Well, I'd like to see some of the endemic stuff. Yeah, well, know, so, so what, things, what, well, what is endemic for well, there's, Corsica? Well, uh, there's Crocus corsicus. Ah, mm. yes. There is Helleborus argutifolius, which used to be called Helleborus corsicus. 
They should have kept it as Corsicus. Yeah, they're, they're, there's always reasons why names go, and that could well be an old name that they've had to go to because it was named that first. Mm. But Corsicus but really would have been good. I really love names that give their, their place of, of originality, mm. you know? Well, it is good, except if the whole flora is something or another Madagascariensis. Mm. True. <laughs> and there's a lot of that in Madagascar. There you know, is. <laughs> if you guess at the species being Madagascariensis, you've got a fairly good chance. <laughs> So, you know, it becomes a bit repetitive sometimes. True. But there is a nice sense of symmetry about having a name of a plant that sort of designates where it comes from. Yes. Because it does give you a good starting point. And it gives you growing conditions. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So you know it comes from Corsica, you know it comes from the Mediterranean style of climate. Exactly. It all helps. It does. Um, so I'm hoping to see at least a couple of endemic species, um, and we'll see lots of other things that grow on mainland Europe as well. Cause oh, a lot sure. Of, you know, Corsica's not that far away, so a lot of the plants have managed to get there over the millennium. And uh, it's apparently, I mean, I've never been there, but it's apparently a beautiful, picturesque place with mountains, and there's still snow on the mountains on Corsica at the moment. Mm. And, uh, I think it's quite rugged, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I get the sense from what I've been reading and looking at that it's quite a rugged place, a bit like um, Crete was when we yes. were there a few years ago. Yes rugged and hilly and, uh, and very picturesque. So, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. I'll be uh, tootling around, probably doing a few day walks. Got nothing booked or planned. Just we've got a, we've, I, we have got one thing booked, the car. Right. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Craig will meet me at the airport um, and we'll stay overnight because I won't get in until 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and then we'll jump in the car and off we'll go. And we might have to toss a coin the best in holidays. the air. Yeah, well, we might toss a coin in the air and say we'll go left or right and see yeah, what okay. happens. Uh, <laughs> no idea what we're going to do uh, when we get there, but it should be good fun. Oh, it'd be great fun. Yeah, yep. so I'm looking forward to it. Terrific. Okay. Well, we've had a lovely time recently, not that we've been anywhere, but the rest of the world has been to Melbourne in the last couple of weeks in, in certain respects. I mean, many people listening this morning were probably this time last week in at Mifkus or planning to go into the International yeah. Flower and Garden Show. And I'm sure people have got plans for doing things in their gardens, having seen and experienced all the um, inspiration that was available there at Mifkus. Mm. And then on the same weekend, apart from the Grand Prix and a 1,000 football and everything, uh, there was also the Landscape Conference. Oh, yes. In yes. Oh, I had yes. an American friend who was out here and she went to the uh, Landscape Conference as an attendee. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of people come from all over the place to... What was the feedback on the conference? Well, Have you we heard were, anything? Well, we've heard lots, actually. But okay. we were very privileged because we were asked to take all the speakers out on the Thursday before the weekend. All right. And so um, we went to, guess where, the Transvern. Oh, God, really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) And, and, I mean, Roger has sent photos to... Oh, we had... There were about 12 on the minibus, um, and... uh, with Roger sent some photos to the people and they've all replied saying, mm. blown away. Um, but Andy Sturgis said, um, I can't understand why more people aren't growing Australian plants, you know. But um, from there, we went to the Dandenongs with them and then the itinerary suggested that after the Dandino- lunch in the Dandenongs, uh, and then we go to Hillsville Sanctuary before they have to be back in town for what? dinner that oh, you, night. You're joking. They well, were plants people. They were from um, Spain, USA, England, a couple from Germany, mm. um, and all spoke wonderful English, thank goodness. Um, but they didn't get to Hillsville Sanctuary. They sort of they took made a vote, a vote on a They percent. made a vote early. Yeah. Mm. Yes. At, at Cranbourne, actually. 
Because they know koala cuddling at all. No, <laughs> no, no, they said that we want to look at plants. Yeah, yeah and that's, which is fair enough. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And they were all landscapers or university mm. lecturers. Yes, who, exactly. Who were speakers at the conference, not attendees. They all had yeah. pretty good CVs. But that was wonderful, those people being in Melbourne. Mm. Some of them had been to Tasmania first and then okay. come up mm. to Melbourne. New Zealand too. So some oh, of them right. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, um, but they're almost like us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. yeah, but anyway, that, that was was our fun in the last 10 days, something mm. like that. Yeah. Now, I heard that the design conference, this was the last one that the Forges po- Yeah, well, po- yeah. It was in the age. They're, they're trying so to sell. They're they trying, are, they're trying yeah. to sell the... Pro, the, yeah. the yeah. They're going to do, still go do tours and things like that, but yeah, yeah, pretty hard thing to sell, unless you want to take it up, Stephen. Uh, no. no. I, I, I think I've got enough in my life at the moment. I don't think I'd want to take up an event like that, because that would take a massive oh, amount of Yes, it's a big event. There were 731 no, attendees. 53. No. 753. I missed a couple. Gosh. Attendees yeah. at the lectures. That's wonderful. That's huge. Yes. And well, I mean, there were 60 from New Zealand came across. Gosh. Yeah. It was Fantastic. a big event for Melbourne and mm. um, one of the guys said when they drove past the MCG um, no, it was the American chap had said you know 100,000 go to the football U there and he said there should be 100,000 at this conference on gardening no, not 100,000 I can't quite see that no. <laughs> but, you know. and, and you'd have to use the MCG then and that yeah. would be a little difficult well, they mm. used it for Billy Graham so it's not just <laughs> not that? just football yeah Anyway, that, that's been our uh, look. That's been the last week for a number of people who I'm sure are listening who mm. attended either of those two events and found it just so inspirational. I mean, we've had um, I know one lady who listens to 3CR regularly, and she said it was just fantastic. Oh, that's great! Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm, good. See, we're, yeah. we're, we're still a garden state. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Even if not, not, not by name. Uh, I dear. just enjoyed it being at Mifkus at the International mm. Flower Show and looking down those avenues at the crowds of people mm. and thought gardening's not dead. I mean, maybe some people are confined to smaller areas now, mm. but it's still a very strong oh, interest yeah. in Victoria and all ages, not just yes. grandparents. It was, you know, young people too. Yes. Yeah, their num- their numbers are a bit down. I think the 90-odd... Yeah, 91,000 uh, you know, or something. You know, I think last, last year they got 120. One day was But the wet. weather weather probably wasn't too good for... Saturday. Anyway. Yes, yes, the Saturday. Yes, the Saturday was, was, was wet miserable. and windy, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and thunder. Yes. Rolls of thunder in the morning. And <laughs> yes, it was quite exciting, really. But then in the, in the <laughs> afternoon the sun came out, so, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, all good, but it's all done and dusted and behind us and we have to move on. Yes. Okay, plus, on that plus note. Plus the laurels too are behind us too. Oh yes. The HMA laurels. Yes. The media association. Yeah, hmm. that, that that was a good 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 evening. Excellent. Yeah, Pam did well. <laughs> Luckily, my voice held out. Mm. Yes. Okay, I'm going to uh, get to some community announcements because uh, things are still happening. Uh, now, first up. Uh, on show, if anyone is heading up to Cloud Hill Gardens over this month, um, do uh, duck into uh, Seasons Restaurant that's uh, at Cloud Hill um, and have a look at an exhibition there of hand-coloured lino cuts and silk screens entitled Blooms, and these are all done by Cam Nucky. Now, Cam uh, has had exhibitions in the past, um, but he always has a uh, horticultural theme to his work, 
And uh, at the moment, as I say, uh, they came on view from late March and, uh, and heading through, I think, probably most of April. Um, and, of course, uh, Cloud Hill is at 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda there. So do go and have a look at those if you're heading up to the gardens. Now, uh, the Keelor Plains Group of the Australian Plant Society um, are holding an Australian Plants Auction. Now, this is commencing at uh, 7.50 on Friday, April the 6th. It's at the Raleigh Road Activity Centre, which is 54 Raleigh Road in Maribyrnong. There'll be grafted eremophila uh, among the special plants for sale, plus lots of other lovely natives for every situation. Growers will be on hand to give advice. Uh, the catalogue will be available on the evening and supper will be provided. If you'd like any more uh, information, you can phone Anne and her number is 9336 That's 9336 Okay, I mentioned last week Open Gardens Victoria have got three Kyneton Gardens opening next weekend, 7th and 8th of April. These are three neighbouring Kyneton Gardens. Uh, the owners are joining together to open their beautiful autumn gardens uh, for uh, next weekend. So there's the Wedgwoods, the Scotsman's Hill and Brocklebank Gardens. They're all in walking distance to each other, but they're distinctively different. The Wedgwoods is a five-acre garden with several intimate garden rooms, a wisteria tunnel and chestnut grove. Scotsman's Hill is a sloping garden on the site of an old bluestone quarry where swathes of plantings spill down the hill and there are views across the Kyneton Township to Mount Macedon. And the Brocklebank Garden has been established within the framework of trees dating back more than a century and features American-inspired prairie plantings of ornamental grasses, so completely different from each other. Now, all three gardens uh, feature sculptures as well and stunning autumn colour. Entry will be $8 per garden or $20 for a joint ticket to all three gardens. Uh, now, the addresses which you will need, uh, Brocklebank is at 12 Brocklebank Drive in Kyneton. Scotsman's Hill is at Lot 4, 79 Wedge Street in Kyneton. And the Wedge Woods is at 88 Wedge Street in Kyneton. Open 10 to 4.30 on both days. As I mentioned, $8 entry, $20 for all three gardens. Children under 18 are free and students $5 per garden. And there will be refreshments available at Scotsman's Hill. Also coming up next week, end, uh, St Earth. Garden of St Earth have got their Apple Festival on. Uh, now, you can wander the Heritage Fruit Orchard, learn how to grow your own food forest. Um, you can dine in the cafe where the seasonal food will be inspired by produce grown in the garden or you can just taste test some of their espaliered apples and skill up with mini workshops and garden tours. Now there is a mini workshop program uh, which is including things like soil improvement using rock dust, companion planting for apples and pears, garlic, espalier apple tree pruning, perennial combinations, perennial vegetables, selecting trees for your orchard, uh, pests and diseases and garlic. And the gardening tours will be running each day at 11am and 3pm with children's activities from 11 till 3 both days. Now, uh, entry 
Uh, Diggers Club members and under-16s are free. Visitors, $10 entry for that one. And uh, let me see if I've got the address of uh, Garden of St Earth, which I should have somewhere. Simmons Reef Road. It is Simmons Reef Road, you're right. Um, uh, In in Blackwood, of course. Yes, Simmons Reef Road in Blackwood. Um, If you'd like more information... You can phone 59847937. Okay, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a native plant propagation workshop coming up on Saturday, April the 14th. This is running 10.30 till 11.30. Cost is $20 and that includes morning tea. Participants will be taught by members of the Friends Group Plant Propagation uh, Group. Uh, how to propagate a range of plants and you take your work home with you. And as a bonus, um, there will be uh, a group plant sale on that same day running from 10.30 through till 12. So if you're booked in for the, the workshop, you can still catch up on the plant sale for an extra half hour after the workshop finishes. Now, um, bookings are essential for the workshop and it's limited to 20 participants. Um, you need to go to the website for more details and to book. Uh, that's www.fobg.org.au uh, or you can uh, phone the friends. Their number is 9035-6861 and uh, there's plenty of parking Yarra Boulevard. If you're intending to buy plants from the plant sale, payments are by cash only for that one and that will be located outside the student union building uh now Stephen, yes. you've got a big gardening expo coming up oh, and yes. you're hosting that one yes uh the tesla um rare plant fair is coming up and of course they've extended it this year and uh, on either side of the weekend there are events going on and there are paddocks full of flowers and uh, yeah so i'm looking forward to getting up there actually it should be really good but uh it's um not next weekend, but the one after, the 14th and 15th. That's and, right. Uh, and it will have a whole range of stall holders like they always do with wonderful plants and, and garden-style products for sale. There'll be food available. Uh, there'll be a whole... Um, um, uh, marquee full of speakers throughout the two days, so there's a whole of, um, schedule of speakers that will be available to uh, come and listen to, people who've got special expertise in different groups of plants and different gardening practices and things. Uh, I'll be emceeing that, which will be fun. Um, and uh, it's always good fun up there. I mean, you know, and you can go home with a bag of tulip bulbs. You can go home with, you know, all sorts of perennials or fruit trees or orchids or ferns, you name it. There seems to be somebody selling it. And um, and you get to talk to a lot of these people who are growers. Mm. And I always think those sort of fairs where they're people who are, are, are actual growers of plants, not somebody who's just reselling stuff, uh, is great value because mm. not only can you buy a nice plant, but you can find out so much valuable information oh, from yes. these people who grow them. Yes. So I think that's a great thing to do. So that'll be on the 14th and 15th. Uh, I think it starts about 10 each day. Uh, uh, 10 through till 5. Yeah. And um, you can buy tickets up there. Um, I think you can get tickets... Uh, I think you can if you go online yeah, as online, well, but you yeah. can get them at yeah, the gate on the day. You can just buy, buy your tickets at the gate if you wish to do so. Yep. And uh, allow yourself the day. 
Oh, absolutely. You, you know, need it. Yeah, you need the whole day to sort of really do it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're not from up in the Dandenongs area, maybe you make a weekend of it and you go to the Rhododendron Gardens and Cloud Hill and, you know, there's a dozen other Plenty things up there up that there. you could yes. be doing. So yes, you exactly. make a weekend of it. Yep. Why not indeed? And I should say the address of Tesla's is 357 Monbolk Road in Sylvan. Yep. If people do want to phone up for one reason or another, their number is 9737 Double seven zero one. That's nine seven three seven double seven zero one. Now I've just got one more that I want to specifically mention because if people are interested, this needs to be pre-booked. And um, encouraging women in horticulture have got a coach tour to Gisborne Gardens planned. Now uh, it's an autumn tour uh, on Saturday, twenty-first of April. They're going to be visiting five fabulous gardens designed by women, uh, followed by a stopover at Frogmore Gardens and Nursery as well. Uh, now, uh, That's a big day. It is a very big day, and they're also including lunch at uh, Teev Tara. Oh, yes. So um, it'll be a fabulous day, actually. Mm. Uh, now, this is open to everyone. You don't have to be female to go along. They, they encourage <laughs> well, they'll you. let us guys on, yes, right? <laughs> yes, all guys are welcome as well. Students are welcome as well. Um, if you're a member of the Encouraging Women in Horticulture group, uh, the, uh, the fee is $85. Non-members, $120. Student members, $80. Uh, student non-members, uh, $100. Now, payment is required for that one uh, beforehand. Um, but if you, uh, if you go to uh, uh, events at ewha.com.au, so that's events at ewha, which is Encouraging Women in Horticulture Association. So events at ewha.com.au. Dot .com.au and you'll see all of the details for that one. Uh, now I should say that that bus departs Federation Square at 8.30 and it will be returning at 5.15. So it's a, it's a full day and would be wonderful to go on, Sounds I'm sure. Good. Yep. Now Gwen. Yes, I've got a few here, Pam. One is for today's, but I've got three notices about bonsai. Oh. Growing little plants in little pots, I yes. guess it is, isn't it? But for today only, or it was yesterday also, Balcom Grammar, uh, this is the Mornington Peninsula Bonsai Society's Easter show. That's at Nepean Highway, Mount Martha, 389 Nepean Highway, 10 to 4 today, only $5 to go in. I won't give you phone numbers because I'm sure everybody's down there and the numbers I've got, well, there are mobiles, but look, pop along if you're available today to Mount Martha. Now, if you're not available today and if you are in the, um, let's see, oh, it is today and tomorrow also, Bendigo Bonsai Club have got their Easter exhibition. Okay. Now, that is... um, Sunday, 10 till 5, only $3 to go in there, so it might cost you $2 extra in petrol to get to Bendigo. <laughs> a little more than that, I would have thought, but anyhow. <laughs> where you go from. Anyway, that the, United, the Uniting Church Hall, Forest Street, Bendigo, for, Bend- for bonsai enthusiasts up that way. Now, uh, 14th and 15th of April, the Victorian Native Bonsai Club Exhibition. This is being held in Melbourne, Royal Botanic. Uh, in D- Domain House, oh, which right. is in Dallas Brooks Drive in 
East Melbourne, whatever just it is. Just down from just, the herbarium. Mm. Yeah, just down from the Royal Botanic Gardens. Not East Melbourne. South Yarra. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that, everyone. God, uh, goof there, didn't I? Um, it just says Melbourne here, but okay. Uh, okay, so that's on the 14th and 15th, 9 to 4 both days, $5 for that. So oh, very little entry fees for the very little plants exhibitions. So they, that one features a lot of Australian native bonsai. Um, and there is an email I can give you if you want further information about that one because it is a couple of weeks away. Uh, SEC for Secretary, nativeclub at gmail.com. But that's at Domain House, Dallas Brooks Drive, on April the 14th and 15th, 9 till 4. Uh, there's one I've got here, Pam, that I don't know if you've mentioned last week when uh, Graham Sargent was on, Kilmore Art Expo and Silky Rose Farm open exhibition? Yeah, was that, that mentioned was last week? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, that's also the 14th and 15th. And um, Graham will be on next yeah. Sunday, so I'm sure we'll talk okay. about that. Yep. Okay, I'll leave well. that one, but you yep. can, if you're thinking of going up to Silky's um, Rose Farm, uh, that'll be a good weekend to do it, April 14th and 15th. Mm. Okay, um, did you want me to mention the Ferny Creek one? Well, it's, yes, it's not yes, if we, it's not till the 21st and 22nd of April, but I think we should mention it because their shows are always wonderful. Yeah, and people, you know, raving about the, the gardens up there too. Ferny Creek Horticultural Society, April 21st and 22nd, uh, at 12 till 4 on the Saturday, just the afternoon on the Saturday, but 10 till 4 on the Sunday. And the autumn show is going to feature hydrangeas, autumn foliage, proteas, uh, autumn flowering bulbs, uh, floral displays, garden walks, all that sort of thing. Plenty of parking on site. A bus group's also welcome. Uh, if you want any further information, publicity at fchs for Fernie Creek Horticultural Society dot org dot au. And that is up at 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras. Sure is. Yep. yep. Now, what have you got, Roger? Oh, look, the, uh, the Friends of Cranbourne are running a special workshop on the t- Sunday, the 29th of April, called the Habitat Gardening Workshop. And so this is when, you know, gardening, horticulture and ecology are going to get together. And uh, there's a, a range of speakers, and including AB from here. AB has been working on a book. I think she's just about finished a book on habitat gardening. I think she's getting close. Yeah, yes. so um, she's, she'll be our keynote speaker for the day. But we've also got uh, Nadine Gaskell, who from, she's involved City of Knox, but Gardens for Wildlife program, which has been going for quite a lot of years, started off in City of Knox and spreading around Australia. So Nadine will be talking on that. And um, actually, AB's going to interview a gardener. Okay. Who, who, from uh, Heathmont, and her garden's been in Open Garden Scheme and things like that, Pam Yarra, just talking about how she's gone about developing her mm. habitat garden. Uh, a bloke called Roger Elliott will be talking about creating habitat in small spaces. Landscape designer Emmeline Bowman's going to be talking about trying to retain water on property through soaks and swales and other things. And we've got Bronnie Schwartz talking about insects. She's uh, really good on insects. And so it's going to be an all-day affair. And we end up going to a place called the Whisper Garden. So you're not allowed to talk loud. <laughs> oh, well, I can't go there. No, no. no. You're, you're I out. think I'm out too. <laughs> 
us. But this garden bounds onto the, the gardens, and it's a garden of two of the people who work at the gardens. Uh, okay. Sherry Judges and Dave Duncan. And um, I know AB is included in her book, so that's where we'll end up. But it's all day uh, from 9.30 to 4 p.m., starting off in the auditorium of the Cranbourne Gardens. And uh, bookings are essential. Members are $60, non-members 75 students are 30 And if you want to, if you'd like to book, the place to go is the Friends website, which is three W's, and then RBG Friends Cranbourne, all in one word, .org.au. If you do want further information, 877-42483. But it it should be a great day, actually. It sounds um, wonderful. Look at looking at... uh, just all the interrelationships of, uh, you know, how insects mm. work with plants and, and other things. Mm. Uh, and that leads me into this rather interesting thing I picked up. Stephen, when did, how old were you when you wrote your first book? Um, it was a little while ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't, don't get too personal, Rose. Yeah. What have you got I think there? it was in the early 90s or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. You, way off. There's a young lad in, in New Zealand. He's yeah. really keen on insects and mm. he really loves cicadas. Mm. And he was trying to find a reference book on cicadas of New Zealand and he couldn't find one. Funnily enough. <laughs> so he decided to write this book himself. He's 10 years old <laughs> and it's been published. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a published book? It's a published book and it's got good reviews. It's been very detailed. So it just shows, you know, he, he, he was saying his fellow, you know, kids in class tease him because he's interested in insects, but mm. that doesn't worry him. Mm. And so he's gone ahead and it, it took him over a year to mm. write and and well, he showed so dedication. He's, he's really yeah. researched it. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's done the cicadas of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. Goodness and and there's quite a few. Yeah, I but didn't start writing until I was about 18. <laughs> no. <laughs> My first articles were printed about then, I think. Yeah, you're slow. Yes, I was. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so it's just interesting. You encourage know. your children, yeah, encourage your the, grandchildren, if you've got an nieces interest. and nephews. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. 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 The fact that it's published, you know, mm. it's... Uh, Absolutely. Actually, we should say, people might like to Google it or something. Yeah. Cicadas of New Zealand by Ollie Ills, O-L-L-Y-H-I-L-L-S. And who, do we have the publisher? Uh, that may be there. I'll give you this sheet, Pam. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll let... let we'll, 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 we'll sort yeah. it out anyway. Yeah. Yep. Roger just got this Not that I'm sure there's that many people in Australia that need a reference book on the cicadas of New Zealand. No, they'd be more interested in Australian ones. A lot lot of them are the same. They are, are they? So we could actually use them anyway. Uh, Does he mention the ones that are are only endemic to New Zealand as opposed to the ones that we can get here? I think so. (laughs) There you go. Well, see, there could be a market for it here. Wow. He should have said, and Australia, underneath it. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, he's potentially got a great writer, but he's not not a great entrepreneurial skilled no, person. Well, I'll give him time. <laughs> he's giving a talk at the Entomological Society Conference in Wanganui in, in April. So, <laughs> goodness, fantastic. isn't that wonderful? Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. It, oh, that's brilliant. Okay, I must uh, get to this call. We have our good friend Virginia, who's been waiting very patiently. Good morning, Virginia. I've been wandering around looking at all the rabbit damage. Oh, dear. They're hungry bunnies. Oh, 
unbelievable. Mm. Just shocking. But the gardens look fabulous. A little bit of rain and everybody's happy. Yep. Now, I've got visitors and they went to Tesselage yesterday. Right. And it's on again today and they said it's the best event they've ever taken their children to. Really? They said it was fantastic. Fair, all those, because they planted out an absolute massive paddock and beautiful, beautiful flowers. Yes. And there's, you know, music and um, fairies and Easter hunts and lots and lots of stuff for kids. Okay. So I, so I just thought I'd ring up in case people are stuck with kids wondering what to do today. Excellent. They can try Apparently, I mean, obviously we will all go for plants in two weeks' time. Yes. Yes. But it, I, I was there a week ago and the paddock just looked absolutely beautiful. Okay. Fantastic. It was on television news last night, Virginia. Oh, was it? Oh, yep. fantastic. Oh, I missed the news last night. Channel 7 or Channel 2, mm. one of them. Oh, mm. fantastic. Yep. Oh, that's good. Quite oh, a good coverage. Yes. Interviews. Well, I, know and... I, I know Rachel listens to us, so she really appreciates the fact we mention what she's, what she's doing. Hmm. Right. And she thinks Stephen's wonderful. <laughs> oh, dear, well, she doesn't know me well. <laughs> Oops, You've dropped out, Virginia. I think we'll have to leave it there. Okay, yes. thanks for ringing in. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting up there in a couple of weeks because I had heard they were, you know, well, I knew that this was sort of being expand, expanded out and that they were yes. you know, planting up the paddocks and things, yes. which I think is a fabulous idea. I mean, they do that for the tulips in the spring. That's right. Um, and it, it seems logical to fill those paddocks up with um, annual flowers and things. Uh, Absolutely. For this time of the year, and it gives people an extra thing. If they're only thinking of coming up on that 14th and 15th, it gives them something else to look at whilst they're up there as well. So, I mean, you could still spend the day up there before they did this. So mm. um, I think this could be a fabulous thing. Oh, I think it could we'll be an excellent thing. We'll all be up thing. there taking pictures to put on our Instagram and our <laughs> Facebook pages. They will be the beautiful Cleomis. I can remember planting Cleomis way back in 19-something, in, <laughs> in the 50s. Oh, goodness Ooh. me. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't really remember the 50s that well. <laughs> <laughs> I but, certainly don't remember Cleomis back then. Well, people didn't know Cleomis back then. It was in the Royal Children's Hospital in the first edition mm. of the Royal Children's All Hospital. All right. And they had to plant something, get some... The Queen was landing in a helicopter or something just up on the top part and they wanted to have something so she could look down. So Grace Fraser, the landscape architect, designed this um, really lovely patterned garden of just annuals mm. and the cl- different coloured Cleomis she had too. And it was my first experience of Cleomis. But you don't see them much, Stephen. No, one of those flowers that... Never sort of took off like petunias and pansies mm. and all those other flowers. And, mm. and sadly, because I think they're a, a gorgeous flower. Yeah, um, and taller. You know, yeah, you, they're statuesque looking. They're mm. not sort of little wimpy things like some of the annual flowers have been bred down to. Although I'm sure they're bred dwarf ones. Mm-hmm. They seem to breed dwarf ones in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a friend who's breeding dwarf canners. And I think, what is the point of a dwarf canner? And he, uh, he's talking canners that'll only get to 30 centimetres. You know, and, and you think, what is the point of that? I mean, the whole point of a canner is it's tall and statuesque. And Might be just from the balconies of those units. Yeah, maybe. I still think you could fit a, a canner that grows to a metre tall on a balcony somewhere because they mm. grow narrow. 
you know, it's yeah. space sideways. That's Depends how windy it gets. Well, there is that, I suppose. But, yes. Oh, dear, I don't know. Yes, dwarf things. But, yes, Cleomis, I think part of the problem with Cleomis was, and I don't know whether they've bred it out of them, but they've got slightly prickly stems. Yeah, they have, yeah. Yeah, mm. and that might have put people off a bit. There's um, a nice native one, yellow-flowered one. Yeah. Which, which it's... it's Tropical, so you won't grow down yeah. here. But I saw yeah. some gorgeous ones in the deserts in Namibia. Uh, they were blue and yellow. Okay, yeah. With really yeah. spidery flowers. It was mm. the most gorgeous mm. thing. Mm. I think I've got mm. pictures of it somewhere. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Okay, let's get to our next call, and we have Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning um, to you all. I um, have two things to ring about. One is um, I've got a very large lemongrass plant that I wanted to... Um, get rid of, unfortunately. If anybody wanted it, I don't suppose they would. But I'm sure, um, they would. I'm sure people would love some lemongrass. Yeah, yeah a I restaurant think, might take it. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's about a metre across. Mm. Okay. Um, it's just um, I'm trying to thin down the work, and I have to protect it, of course, over winter and cover it. And so mm. it's turning out to be quite a bit of work. Right. Um, so if anyone wanted it, um, they're welcome. Uh, but the real reason I was ringing, um, my son has, um, a st- he's a new gardener, um, and he's grown some roses and he's very pleased with his roses, but he's got, um, two spots next to his gate, which he needs a, I think a winter flowering shrub. Um, why I say winter flowering is that the roses are all going to be, um, dormant, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, I thought something winter flowering, and perhaps something a bit showy, given he's um, and fairly. He needs to be something that's fairly successful because. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not something that's going to challenge him too much. Yeah, like how big a space has he got? He's probably got a metre high by probably not quite a metre wide, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So it's not a hugely big area. Um, well, I'll throw an exotic one in, and I reckon that the, the Elliots will find us a couple of native ones. There's a semi-dwarf variety of flowering quince, canomalies, um, called peach melba. And peach melba only gets to about a metre by a metre, and it's very prunable, so you can trim it back a little bit. It flowers in mid to late winter. It has large double white flowers that age to a sort of an apricot colour. And it's it's more or less deciduous, so it flowers on the bare stems in the winter. Okay. And it's really, really lovely. There's lots of different uh, anomalies out there, some of which grow quite large, so you'd have to make sure you didn't get a big growing one. Um, I've also got one, I can't remember its cultivar name, Um, probably come to me at some stage, but there's one with a red flower and marbled variegation in the foliage that I got years ago from a grower out in Trafalgar and uh, it was named after a well-known nurseryman's wife and I can't for the life of me remember the name now. Um, I think it was Emily something or another or... Anyhow, I've got a, a red one up there that's uh, quite pretty. And um, uh, canomalies are almost indestructible. Uh, they are tough, tough shrubs. They were very popular back oh, when Roger was a child. They were probably Ooh, quite popular. They were. <laughs> yes, they My did. mother used to grow, had quite a range of different colours. Yeah, exactly. They were very popular plants, and some of them yeah. do get um, edible fruit on them. Mm. They make a really good jelly. Mm. I can remember us fighting uh, over pots of my grandmother's japonica jelly, as she called it, because mm-hmm. uh, they're all, also, always known as japonicas. Yeah, they yeah. were always known as japonicas, <laughs> which caused all sorts of confusion for people because there's so many plants that have japonica in their name yes. that are 
completely unrelated and people would say, oh, is that like another Japonica, is it? Um, but anyhow, I, I reckon a, uh, one of the smaller growing anomalies are indestructible, winter flowering uh, and could do the job quite well and they're showy. So there you go. So what do you think, Roger? I'd, I'd go for something lowish maybe. Grevillea lanigra. Ah, Grevillea lanigra, L-A-N-I-G-E-R-A. There's, a, there's one they sell in the nursery trade as Mount Tamboretha, but it doesn't come from Mount Tamboretha. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. But it, it's, a, it's a lovely long flowering. It'll flower probably nearly four months. Oh, that's lovely. And it, it'll start flowering in late autumn. They're budding up now. And they're dense as dense, a good ground cover. And the flowers are pink with a little bit of red with some cream in it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they'd attract the birds into oh, the yes, garden. Yeah, they do. Yes, yeah, yeah, they, they do. love grevilleas. Yeah. So that 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 would be a. At, is he living at Cheltenham too, or? Yes, he, he is. Okay, that that'll be fine down there. So it, it was L A N I G E R A. E R A. Oh, good. Yeah. So, but if you even if you just ask for the one of the low forms, hmm. and yes. they and they're dense and. Uh, yeah, all right. So you've got a couple of good choices. I'll get him to choose. Yep. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, even though it's Easter Sunday, we are here mm. and we'd love to hear from you. Yes, that where are all those two people <laughs> supposed well, to be bringing in for us? Oh, no, well, some people are up. Yes, <laughs> yes. we've got Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, Gwen and Roger Elliott, uh, who virtually are attached by an umbilical cord to, <laughs> to down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens these days. Um, but uh, they're our, our Australian native plant gurus, so do give us a call. We've also got Doug on the outside line, if anyone would like to have a chat to Doug. Uh, you can ring Doug on 94198377. If you want to speak to Steve and Gwen and Roger, you can uh, ring us on 94190155. But we'd love to hear from you this morning. Or as I say, Doug's on the outside line on 94198377. We're going next to Michael, who's out in Forest Hills. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. G'day. How are you going? We're well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, my big interest is in, um, the role of horticulture, uh, in regards to climate change. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, 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 I listen to Radio EcoShock, um, in, in the morning oh, yes. sort of thing, yeah. And, um, look, I, I, things like, um, the issue of, like, uh, um, eucalypts, um, I understand that they, they are very good at, um, converting, um, well, storing carbon mm-hmm. um, and, and, and issues like that. I, I'm just sort of um, really, really, um, you know, um, keen on knowing about, uh, you know, how what specific plants do what sort of thing to to um, mitigate climate change. Um, um, I, I mean, I, I know that. Where people that are involved in, in horticulture, it's, it's it's kind of the bleeding obvious sort of thing, you know. Yeah. But um, but um, from an outside point of view, there there is a question as to as to whether you know um, we're going to make a difference or not. Oh yeah, yeah. You know yeah, that. Yeah. that so I'm I'm really keen on on, on um, knowing a bit more about that sort of thing, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it, any plant is beneficial 
to yeah, start sure. off with. And, and the more and, the better. Yeah. 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 And that, that's the thing. And, uh, you know, I think the, probably the main thing is a lot of people do realise that if we didn't have plants, we wouldn't be here, but some people don't seem to take that too seriously. That's uh, right, And yes. um, so the main yes. thing, in any sort of tree, okay, yes. there's some trees that are better than others, but any tree is, you know, store carbon. And uh, And create shade and take up water and do all of the things that we need if we're going Mm. to ameliorate some of the worst things that are going to happen with climate change. Which is why we we are concentrating on on trying to get the message out for cities to green up because Mm. cities are concrete jungles. They heat up so much more than out in the countryside where you've already got your your green grass, you know, plenty of trees, but we really need to green up our cities in these big high-rise, um, yes. you know, yes. units, well, we, blocks of units. We, well, we're seeing that a lot down here, down, down a Box Hill Way and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. Very, in the very early days in China at Nanjing, in the uh-huh. city there, this would have been in the 1980s, I suppose, hmm. early, um, they decided to plant, mainly using English plane trees, but they were able to lower the temperature of that city, average temperature, four degrees centigrade. Right. Over time. Right, yeah. And even just to get, you know, some of our our people and even people in any developments and that they don't tend to plant so that they will try and uh, alleviate the the coldness of winds blowing through and it's amazing how plants are so good at this. Yes. Um, because once wind passes through plants you'll find that the temperature will be slightly higher in 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 the in the cooler times of the year and in the hotter times of the year those winds will be cooler right and so even just the the effect of that even around your own house you know um, it means that you won't be using as much won't have to use as much air conditioning and all that sort of stuff if you can use use plants well and trees need to be big enough to actually right. shade things. I mean, yeah. I get yeah. people all the time coming in. They say, oh, I want a tree for my front lawn. And I say, well, how big do you want it to grow? And they say three metres. And I say, well, that's not a tree. <laughs> it's a shrub. <laughs> um, you know, trees need to be tall enough to pull the house into the environment. They need to yeah. be able to, you know, the leaves need to go over the canopy of the roof a bit and, um, you know, to, to shade your windows and do all of those sorts of things. So yeah. I think too many people are frightened of trees of yeah. a reasonable size. True. You know, they're terribly worried about the roots do- doing damage and all sorts yeah. of things. And, You'd be surprised how little damage most trees actually do. Well, that's Um, what I've heard, yeah. And in fact, most people, if they've got a cracked foundation or they've got some other problem or blocked pipes with roots, it's probably due to the fact that the pipes or the foundations weren't properly put in in the first place and weren't properly sealed and then the roots get in and cause problems. So it's the building or the, the pipe's fault, not the tree. Yes, indeed. And we yes. should be protecting the tree and putting the extra money into the infrastructure to make sure that the tree doesn't cause any issues. Yes, yes. And, it, and even just managing trees after planting, you know, if you're planting them on, the, say, the north side of the house and people say, oh, that's going to just block out all our sun, that's not necessarily the case, yes. or block winter sun. Yes. By pruning off some of the lower branches, you can take it up so you get winter sun in, but you get shade in yeah, summer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's managing, you know, just managing some of these plants. For sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, look, you know, I just, um, yeah, like, yeah, just uh, once again, it's... Um, it seems like a vital issue at the moment. Oh, know, it is, uh, it is, and it's yeah, good that you're interested. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. Anyway, spread, um, spread the word. 
Yeah, I will do. I will do. I'll, I'll get onto it right away. <laughs> Good, <for you. laughs> Good on you, Michael. Uh, great. Um, enjoying the show. Okay. Cheers. Bye. All the best. Bye. Right, next up we have Pam in Coburg. Good morning, Pam. Oh, good morning, panel. I've got a question about Saracenia. Uh-huh. Um, I heard uh, Roger talking about it yeah. quite some time ago. I meant to bring some in today and I forgot. Mm. Mm. Well, I went out and got some. Yeah. I've never heard of them before. Okay. But my questions are really, I bought little pots. They're mm-hmm. only, you know, what are they, 100 centimetre pots. Yep. Think of, or 10 centimetres. 10 centimetres. Yeah, I was yep. going to say 100 <laughs> centimetre pot's quite large, actually. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I, I think I should pot them up a bit. and I, So I wanted to ask about potting mix, okay. about depth of soil, yep. um, and how to treat them over winter, okay. those sort of questions. Generally, I've got a little pots of it, and I need to do something okay. longer term for okay. them. Before Roger answers, could I just have mentioned that for everyone else listening and the many people might be thinking, what on earth is a Saracenia? Mm. We're talking about the carnivorous plants, um, moisture-loving, but I know Roger will cover that, but the ones with the um, generally upright, modified leaves that catch insects. and Like pictures. Picture plants, yes, but not the Dutchman's no. pipe pictures. No. But anyway, off you go, Rog. But oh, I no. just thought I'd describe yeah. a Saracenia for people to think, I don't know what they're talking about. No, that's right. Um, as far as the, the potting mix, they, they don't like really rich potting mixes and things like that. Um, often the best thing to do is just to get um, a mixture of sand and even coir peat. Um, but you can add a little bit of a, a potting mix that doesn't have fertilisers into it. The bottom, depending on the, what size pot you're going to go into, but it, it sometimes pays to get a bit of charcoal from somewhere to put in the base of the pot. The pots are probably better. If you're going to grow them for a while, you don't have to have drainage holes in the pots. So you can get a, buy a ceramic pot, if you like, or, or whatever, that doesn't have drainage holes in. But you put a bit of charcoal in the bottom, and then you just uh, have a mixture of sand and koi peat, even 50-50 is probably okay. Add a little bit of uh, a potting mix to it. And um, that's about all you need to do. And then you can just put your plants straight into it. And the main thing is they need to be kept moist all the time. Does that and make what, sense so far? Yes, that makes sense so far. Okay. What about the depth? Um, the depth, probably even... 10 to 15 centimetres is okay. Yep. And, okay. And, uh, so they, you they, don't have a deep pot no, no, at all? No, no, you don't yeah. need a deep pot. And, and then over winter, they're really no trouble. They're used to getting snow on them in winter. They'll cope, right. cope with that, so you can just leave them outside all the time. And um, at this stage, have they got good healthy growth on them? Or have you got some dead? Yeah, they Oh, there's a few deady bits. Well, but just, just, a cut, lot of, yeah, just yeah. Cut, cut off the dead bits down to the base and then just replant. And, and that's about all you need to do. But I, I'd say, look, go to a library and, and pick up a book. On the, the oh, look, I've been, I've been looking on the internet. Have and you? Well, that's to be fine. Yeah, a lot that, of, that's um, where people go now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but, uh, but the one thing that didn't come up in that was the depth. Oh, and yeah. I think the way you grow them is different to the way a lot of other people grow them, which is yeah, we, um, we in tend, a high saucer 
Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's abroad. They're probably around about, um, I don't know, yeah, 30 centimetres plus across the. It's a, just an unglazed terracotta pot and like a big saucer, you know, or, or a, a breakfast bowl. Right. Type, type shape. Okay. So, in terms of the water level, if you would yep. put them, say, in a saucer. Yeah. Um, because I haven't found any pots without holes in okay. it. Okay, <laughs> all right, okay, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. What sort of depth, so if you have a, a pot that's, you know, 10 to 15 centimetres yeah. tall, well, it, what sort of level would you have the water sitting at? Oh, in, in the saucer that the pot's sitting in? Is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah, yeah. Up, just try and keep it up to, up to the top, fill it up to the top each day. And so uh, the same height, 10 to 15, whatever oh, height the pot is? No, or? sorry, if you can get a... a, a a pot saucer, they, they're often called, I think. Is that right, Stephen? Yeah, I think so, yes. Um, yeah. Stephen doesn't really know. I <laughs> <laughs> think the, so, Roger. The yeah, trick yeah. is just to keep them damp. It doesn't that, have to right. be a particular yeah. level, does it? No. Roger, but, I mean, no. They, they can go almost underwater or they can be oh, just... Yeah. Look, as long as the roots are wet. Yeah, that, that's what as they... Long, okay, so you just then rely on the potting mix to yeah, yeah, stay well, moist and... Yeah, yeah okay. Well, I, I just top up ours every, usually every morning if, I, if the level's low. Yep. But it's you know, fine. And, um, yeah, no, look, you'll get uh, lots of enjoyment out of them and they'll catch lots of uh, mosquitoes and even European wasps and other things. They don't catch bees, um, which is interesting. Um, I, thought, I thought that was interesting because I have bees here and yeah, I thought yeah, that yeah. sparked my interest no, quite no. a lot. <laughs> European wasps can bore out of them sometimes. You'll find holes in, in, the, in, the, in the pitches. But yep. anyway, look, they're, I was going to, well, you shouldn't say things are foolproof, but they're, they're pretty easy to grow, as mm. long as you well, keep them they'd, Yeah, they've done well so far, but they are just in these, you know, yeah. little propagation yeah. pots. And yeah, yeah, well, better get something a bit time, more. time to go up, yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks very much for all that. All right. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Right, we're going next to Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Oh, good morning. Um, panel, happy Easter, panel, happy, happy Easter, Same Victoria. Same to you, Hugh. Yes, um, I have a very shaky telephone line or no telephone at all, so I could drop out any second. Okay. Now, my question is on Bafikhaiten, and I have three of them, and they're like everyone, like everything else in, in pots. Mm-hmm. Um, and two of them are constantly green, but the third one is at times dormant. And then I think, oh, it is dying. Mm. But after a while, it comes back again and in, in its full glory. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is there a Bachigheiten that some of them, I think it is reference or something, I can't remember. Pestris, maybe. Repestris is the bottle, the bottle tree. No. Yes, the bottle tree. Yep. Um, but um, what is the second name? Reprens, isn't it? Uh, there's Brachychaeton rupestris. 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 Yeah, rupestris. Yeah. yeah. You know that is the one I have. Yeah. And um, but I can't understand why one of them goes dormant, and it is year after year after year it's doing that. Um, are there several kinds of uh, bronchitis? 
there's, there's quite a few different brachychitans. Uh, have you just got Repestus or have you got other species? I got another two. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. but, but they they always stay green. Yeah, yeah. Well, some brachychitans are deciduous. Uh, they for, are deciduous. Yep, yep. And sometimes they can be deciduous for probably one month, rarely two months, but sometimes they may be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it really depends which one. Often it's an indication, not always, that the plant is going to flower. They often flower in a leafless form. Yeah, well, I haven't, haven't seen a flower no, on them, no. and I got the plants for 10, 15 years, yeah. and, and some of them are four metres high, but then I haven't seen a flower ever. Yeah. No, to get them to flower, you probably really have to have them in the ground. Yes, no. uh, I haven't sorted that out yet. No, okay. Okay. Now then, my thanks goes also to Stephen. Mm-hmm. Stephen asked me once, I asked Stephen, what, what about my jacaranda? Because it did, didn't develop a crown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Stephen said, put it in the hottest place. So um, I moved it. It's not, not easy. It's a 50 centimeter pot. Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the uh, jacaranda is about eight, seven, eight feet high. It wasn't very easy anyway. I got it into a hot pot place. And it's starting to develop a crown. Oh, good. But um, the, on the side, halfway up, uh, at around the meter mark, uh, came a big branch. And I, I had to cut it off because I, the branch was growing stronger than the crown. Hmm. And uh, I, I turned them into cuttings, and, and, they, um, and I, I think I've been successful. Yeah, well, well done. Well done. They, they can take time to, uh, uh, when you put cuttings in of some things. They can look all right for quite a long time but not actually get roots on them. So time will tell, Hugh, but let's hope you're right. Yeah, okay. Brauchheiten, uh, can you turn them into cuttings too? There's the same thing. I have to cut some off. Can you I've turn... never propagated brachychitans that way, and I think most of the cultivars and things are grafted, and I think most of the ones you buy are seedling raised. So, I mean, you've got nothing to lose. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You know, if you're pruning it off, have a go. Yeah, yeah, but I, I wouldn't hold out too much hope, Hugh. I, I've got a sense that brachychitans probably aren't that easy from cuttings. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I have so much work, and uh, I picked some clevia seeds, and they shriveled up a little bit. Mm. And I haven't had a chance to sell them out. Um, can somebody remind me how to do it? Well, you should sow them as soon as you collect them, if you can. How long ago did you collect them, Hugh? Uh, I, I have some fresh ones coming just the same, but mm. I have the, the yellow ones. Um, actually, they came from South Africa. Mm. Um, and... and um, they shriveled up terribly, mm. and I, I just have this is just too much work. And I was, I, I got two arms, but only one arm is sort of working. Yes, well, look, time is of the essence. Uh, the seed of those particular plants should be put in as fresh as possible, so don't leave it any longer than you can to sow them. It may already be too late without seeing them, I can't tell. Um, but you just sow them onto a normal potting mix. 
just cover the seed with about the same diameter as the seed with, with uh, either coarse gravel or potting mix over the top of it and water them well and see what happens. But the fresher, the better with, with seed of those. Yeah, well, I've got some more coming up, hopefully. Yeah, well, when those are ripe and ready to come off the plant, sow them almost the same day if you can. You yeah, get them okay. straight in. But the other ones, you need to get them in as quickly as you can. And if you don't sow them today, I might be tempted to throw them into just some tepid water overnight and see if you can't sort of plump them up again. Yes, I believe in, in, in tempered water. Yeah, so you could try that and see if that helps. But, yes, yeah, certainly they need to be sown very fresh. Do you keep the toy in, in the sun? Uh, I wouldn't with those, no. I would keep them in the shade. Um. Okay, well, what about dappled shade? Dappled shade or whatever the word is? Yeah, yeah, look, it, it, it doesn't have to be in, in heavy shade. Uh, so if it's under a tree canopy where it's getting dappled light through the tree, that should be fine. Okay, thanks. Well, and thanks, panel, for coming in on happy uh, on, on, on Easter Sunday. <laughs> You're welcome, Hugh. I, uh, We're I dedicated. <laughs> and I'm lucky the telephone line kept open. It did, it did. It did. Yeah. You All got right, there. we'll catch up with you, Hugh. Okay. Bye. And, 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 and Tesla's on the 14th, 15th, you yep. said? Yep. Yes, that's right. Okay. Okay, then. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for answering my question. Okay. Bye. Bye. Ah, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. If you'd like to join us, uh, if you wish to speak to the team on air, 94190155. If you wish to speak to Doug on the outside line, 94198377. Roger, let's make a start. You've got such an array of flowers and... I got, amazing. I got some droopy things here. Yeah, oh. yeah well, you can start with them. <laughs> um, it's a, a f- fern relative, or f- yeah, I suppose it's a fern relative. It's um, Nardu. Mm. All right. So, uh, and I should say, the plants I've got today came out of a couple of gardens. One in Beaconsfield, which is the other side of the creek. You know, if you're on the <laughs> yes. if you're on the other side of the creek from Berwick, you're, you're not as good. Oh, okay. in Apparently, it depends. Yeah. They think they're better. It's yeah. like which side of the Yarra you're on. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. And the other other ones from gardens uh, in in Berwick. So oldie uh, Berwick. Yeah, yeah, oldie Berwick. So right, I thank those people for that. Um, but yeah, Nardu. It looks like a clover, doesn't it? It is, mm. it is. Four leaf clover, And there's, I think. A, there's a few different ones. This is um, one called Marsilia, M-A-R-S-I-L-E-A, Drummondii, Drummond with a double I. Um, there's another one called Mutica, which has a, a brown ring around near the centre, which is a really lovely thing. So if you've got a bit of water, mm. it, can, it can just be in a bowl. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't need a big fish pond or anything. No, just you a, don't. A, a yeah. little sort of shallow bowl would probably yeah, do. Yeah, and they can look very, very, you know, and they glisten too. These aren't glistening anymore. No, but they're uh, droopy. <laughs> <laughs> but a bright green, the Mutica is probably even a brighter green, I think. Um, there's another one called Hirsuta, which is very grey and um, hairy, Hirsute. And there's another one called Angusta Folia, which is very narrowly lobed. So th- there's a few different ones, okay. and, and they come across from... Well, now, did the Aboriginals use them all as food plants? I Probably. think I preempted you then, but no, anyway. no, no, no. <laughs> Probably Drummondii is, the, I think, the main yeah. one that they used, and so they have sporocarps, mm. where the spores come from, and that's what they used to grind. 
make into flour and use for damper and other things. So, um, yeah. And you will, you'll find you'll get sporocups in, if, if you've got a bit of a pool, you'll yeah. find you'll get sporocups on them too. Okay. But it just You'd need an awful lot to make damper though, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen those things. I'm thinking, yeah. it must take enormous patience to collect enough of those yeah. to grind down to make enough flour to make anything. Mm. Well, when you didn't have to be on, you know, Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, that's or true. You had time. You didn't have to a flat do... battery you'll no, deal with. No. <laughs> Had time, but uh, just look look out for nardus, and you'll find them in water plant sections of nurseries. They'll be there. And now they uh, can be a bit aggressive in some oh, situations can, too, can, can't they? They can, mm. they can be, Stephen, and uh, and sometimes you've got to get a rake out. Yeah. And, and just rake some of the stuff out. Mm. So. But that's the same with a lot of water plants. A lot oh, of yeah. water plants are quite robust, yeah. Yeah. and so they can, you know, you plant this benign-looking little thing into your pond, and then before you know it, the whole sort of surface of the water's covered, and well, you can't right. see the goldfish anymore or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it depends on water depth, doesn't it? Yeah. I know, you know, some people put in maybe uh, pools, or, you know, largest pools, maybe a metre deep, and that's when you find things like cambungi come in. But if they were two metres deep, you, you don't tend to have those sort of things as much. So, mm. so yeah, but there's lot, lots of different good, good water plants, you know, that you can, uh, can have. So that's a, a fern relative. Um, I brought in a couple of things which, you, you know, used to be around yonks, and you don't see them around much. Malaleuca lateritia, sometimes called robin redbreast bush. Western Australian. Um, it's a stunning shade of orangey red. Isn't yeah. it? Beautiful. And, and, it, and it flowers right through summer, you know, so it does flower for a long time. Some people just grow it as a shrub, but I, I can remember seeing a plant as a street tree in Heathmont where it had just been pruned up on a trunk mm-hmm. and it was around, well, not quite a tree, Stephen, because the trees are supposed to be six metres tall. Yeah. But... Probably got to about a four... A shrub with delusions of yeah, grandeur. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was around nearly four metres high and had just been pruned up on a trunk and had all these lovely flowers and there was one day I went power and there was a big moggy sitting in there just waiting for the honey eaters to come. <gasps> oh! <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Malaluca laterite, yeah, lots of sunshine. It'll tolerate just about any type of soil. And uh, so it's the colour... Is it's Robin an orange? Uh, yeah, it's an orange you know, side of red. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Um, so anyway, that that's a good, good, reliable thing. And another little plant you hardly ever see, and it's a Beaufortia. Melaleuca's in the myrtle family. Beaufortias are in the myrtle family, so they're related to gum trees and things like that. Um, Beaufortia orbifolia, and I think it's a wonderful plant. It's tough. It'll grow in most soils. The flowers, when they first come out, tend to be a slightly limey, greeny colour, and then the outer parts get this red coloration. The tips they look the like stamens. they've been dipped in paint all the way yeah, around the yeah. hair. Yeah, they do, don't they? Or, yeah. or their, their hair dye is, is slowly <laughs> growing out. <laughs> yeah, their uh, tips are showing, yeah, you know, yeah, their yeah, roots. Yeah. But it, it's a little brush... Um, the, the brushes can get up to, say, uh, five centimetres long, and they're around about oh, four across, I suppose. Um, but it, it's just a good, reliable plant. But and the foliage is quite tiny, isn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, because they don't look good in pots, 
the general yeah. nurseries don't yes. stock them. Because they, they don't flower in a Well, they don't flower in a You don't find them it, readily it, available. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could get me started. But this is why they come to your nursery. You buy something that looks pretty in the pot, you put it in the garden, it stays like that. Yeah, Whereas you yeah. buy something like that that doesn't look much in a pot, yeah. um, put it out in the garden and it grows into something stunning. Well, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Unfortunately, people are, are being trained by some people in the nursery trade to go for the potted colour and they don't ask questions about that funny little green thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. And, of course, the, the problem is as well for me that your potted colour are usually annuals. Mm. And so it's gone and you've got to do it all over again the next yeah, yeah. season. So, but, yeah. you know, but even with the... The non-ephemerals, I mean, when you talk about perennials and things, they breed them down small so that they look attractive in a pot. Mm. They lose their statuesque qualities. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, Roger was talking about compact, bushy things. Well, that seems to be what everybody wants to go for, and yet I like light, airy, loose shrubs and plants in the garden, and they often don't present well in a pot. No, no, no. no that's right. I don't know, just... We've got some Leptospermum morrisoni, which people often hedge like mad, mm. and we've just trimmed them up. We've planted them very close, but we look out our kitchen window, and there's always movement there. Yes. And you've got the colour of the foliage up top. and Which is burgundy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's lots of ways of dealing with plants, and sometimes they can look better if you do a little bit of work on them. <sighs> yes, I do get annoyed with the people who trim everything with a pair of head shears, and they end up with things that look like wobbly mushrooms. <laughs> Same thing, one of the um, landscapers at this conference talked about green concrete. Yes. And, um, you know, this was these balls that yes. just looked like green concrete, he yeah. thought. But yeah. Yeah, there's, what are you going to say, Roger? And it's, look, it's similar. I had a, a couple in the nursery yesterday, actually, that were looking for a climber to grow on a wall, and the guy had seen the climbing ficus. And I said, well, yes, you could do that, but then you're just going to end up with a green wall. You're not going to have, you know, anything particularly interesting. It's just going to be, instead of it being a white wall or whatever colour it is now, it, because the foliage is small and fine, it's just going to turn it into a green wall. Why don't you get something with a little bit more boldness to the foliage and maybe something that changes through the year a little bit so that, you know, if it's in a small courtyard, you can go outside and say, oh, wow, look, it's doing something instead of just being a green thing. Yes. That just sort of stuck on the wall. Yes. So, yeah, so we had quite a long discussion and the little church out the front of my nursery is covered in Boston ivy and I said, go and have a look at that, see how it sticks nice and close so it doesn't take up any space um, and it'll be bright red in a week or two. Uh, the bare stems in the winter will be interesting. Uh, the new bright green leaves coming out in the spring will be interesting. Uh, and it's not going to billow out into the garden, mm. you know. So, you know, and I think he was quite taken with the idea uh, because it's nice to have something that has some textural interest. Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, we must get to some of these calls. We have uh, Trevor in Cockatoo. Good morning, Trevor. Yeah. Good morning, guys. How are you going? We're well. <clears throat> good. I won't take off. Um, just got a query. We've just bought a property, a larger property, about forty acres. Um, just to uh, graze cattle. The previous owner, um, there, he had a weed problem for a while and um, he's got on top of that and now he just spot sprays with a chemical. Um, he's dealing with blackberry, petostrum, thistle and ragwort. Right. Is there another way of dealing with those particular weeds without using chemicals? Physical labour is one way. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, you go out there with a matic uh, and you'll be surprised how much ragwort and, and potosperum you can deal with in a fairly fairly short time. Yeah. Um, blackberries are a little more of a contentious thing because 
you can't just chip them off below ground level and kill them. Um, They will reshoot from the roots again. Uh, But constant chipping will get rid of them eventually. But things like the ragworts and the thistles and things like that, if you dig in underneath them with a mattock... um, you'll pretty well get rid of them and you make sure that you just make sure they don't go to seed because once you've got a a body of seed in the ground well then you're going to have regeneration of these things coming up for years to come Um, and that would be my preferred method i know if you've got 40 acres it's a fair bit of ground to cover but by the time you go around spot spraying the same area i mean if you're spot spraying you could almost have used a matic as quickly yeah yeah, you know once you get in the swing of it uh and what about the burning method just with like a blowtorch would that be an it won't kill the blackberries either, I don't think, because the no. blackberries' roots will reshoot again. Uh, yep. It could kill some of the others, though. Uh, it could probably kill the, the thistles and, and what have you. But the issue with burning is, of course, you're still using a fuel and you're still um, using a chemical in a sense, um, yeah. and you're having, you know, you're. It's like starting any engine. You put fumes into the atmosphere and all that sort of stuff. So you're still having a slight impact on the environment, whereas something physical, you're only sweating. Yeah. I was just going to say, often the best thing, if you've got a, a, a weed problem like that, is to start in the areas that aren't as badly infested and gradually work to the, the worst parts. If you can try and get rid of the, the odd sparse ones first and then work mm. into your, your yeah. main area. Yeah, there's no real main area. Okay, all, okay. Yeah. So they're scattered, scattered all over the place. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know whether the property would cope with it, but goats will eat blackberries. Um, so, you know, you could have a tethered goat. Um, I used to use a goat as a, as a blackberry control mechanism. I mean, it doesn't kill them, doesn't get rid yeah, of them, yeah. but it keeps them in, in bounds and it stops them going to flower and seed because um, yeah. uh, goats will nibble away at blackberries quite happily as long as they've got other food to eat as well. Um, yeah. But there's not much else in the way of livestock that will have a crack at blackberries. Um, now, just another quick one. Uh, because the, the previous guy has been using chemicals, um, is there somewhere we can get soil testing done to test for any any toxins or anything? Yeah, you, I'd say de- Department, Department of, of Primary, a, industry, yeah, primary Industry. Yeah, Primary Industry, yeah. Yeah, get in touch with them. They'll put you onto the right people. I yes, think if they don't do it personally, they'll tell you where to take it. Even yeah. your local Department of Con- Conservation or DWALP. Um, oh, yes. they, they would be able to tell you where. Mm. No, very good. Right. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. Good luck with all of that. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Nice to hear of somebody <laughs> trying to do things in a, an environmentally yeah. friendly way on a broad scale. I think that's yeah. great. I know that for, I'm not sure whether it's still going, but the University of Adelaide had an email discussion group on weed management. Mm. Um, Enviroweeds at adelaide.edu.au. Yeah, that's still going. It's still going. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean... Well, that might be a forum to that, get that, involved that in. That might be, well. yes, you know, because forum. I know Roger's involved mm. in some of these email discussion groups and people just put in questions and... Um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. other people respond with answers or what they've done that's worked. What and they hasn't found successful. And, yeah. mm. So enviroweeds at adelaide.edu.au and that's done by the University of Adelaide Weed Management Group. Fantastic. Good. Okay, we're going next to Jill in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. Hi, Gwen, Stephen, Hello. Roger. Hi, Pam. Um, 
I was going to ring you about Nardu, and now now you've just had a little chat about it, but I've got a potted Nardu. Yep. It's the green one with a slightly bronze edge to it, and I've had it now for about 15 years. Okay, yep. In a large, it's in its original uh, six-inch pot, yep. old style, and um, it's in an urn that's, that has soil in it and water, okay. and it faces north, but it doesn't get westerly sun. Uh-huh. And, you know, it survived, but should I pot it up? Oh, you could do if you like, but if it's happy, well, that's fine. You but just let it go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it probably deserves potting up if it's been in the same pot for 15 years. Yeah. Yes, well, it does get holiday. it. You know, I put a bit of, I haven't ever given it any... Um, food, no, but no. it's just survived. Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're survivors, that's for sure. Yeah. Right, okay. And Pam, could I tell what's on the, the Herb Society sure. on Thursday? Yes. 7.30pm at Burnley, room 10 in the main building, and enter by the steel ramp. And um, Andrew Kelly, who's in the Yarra River Keepers, and he's a member of the association too, is coming to talk about the Yarra River, the plantings, its problems, its prognosis, things that are changing, um, the plantings that help uh, uh, depress some of the toxins that are in the river. So it should be an absolutely fascinating talk. Mm. And that'll be at 730 and um, then we people need to come, you know, about 20 past so that they're seated by 7.30. And then there's herb supper, and we have usually have a raffle of a plant or a herb book or something like that, several plants, and uh, sometimes things to sell and definitely cuttings to receive for nothing. Great. So a jolly group with about 35, 40 people each month. Excellent. That's great. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Thanks Pam. Bye. Right, Roger, back to some of these uh, plants. Yes, Just I want to know about that one. <laughs> another member of this myrtle family, fantastic family of plants. It's a calothamnus, uh, com- commonly called one-sided bottle brushes or one-sided net bushes. Uh, flowers are usually on one, so- one side of the stem, but not always. Um, it, this is one of the many, many different forms of Calothamnus quadrifidus. It's the most commonly grown one, but this this is quite a, a stiff one, but it has these bright red f- flowers, which are really great nectar producers. So the birds go in with their long tongue, and then they get pollen from the long parts of the flower, which stick out. And um, so Calothamnus is... Uh, most calothamnuses will tolerate extreme dryness. Some of them will tolerate wetness. Uh, so they're good, reliable, you know, a, a good good group of plants to have. And even I, I found some of the calothamnuses will even grow well under Pinus radiata. Um, mm, well, that's so, a challenge. That yeah, is, yeah. yeah. As if you can grow Not, something under a big conifer. Yeah, so they, they might struggle for a while, but they, they can... Can go there, and uh, with the the calothamnuses, if you're into hedging, they'll hedge. But if you don't want to hedge, that that's fine too. But uh, sometimes their main flowering is in summer, but you can get odd flowers throughout the year on them. But uh, there's a whole range of different calothamnuses. Just worth exploring. 
as a, a different plant. The foliage tends to be pineish like, I suppose you'd call it. Yeah, it almost looks like needles, doesn't yeah, it? Needles. Yeah, needles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're soft. But there are some prickly ones too. Okay. There's one called Pinefolia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Somebody uh, did the which obvious. Is, which is very, very, very prickly. Right. But, uh, but uh, yeah. And there's some low ones. Um, <coughs> some of the Calothamnus quadrifidus is a lovely one which has soft grey foliage. Oh, that'd so be nice. That's, uh, and even you can get some lovely effects by even planting some of the different species together with the greens and the greys. And you get this nice mix of... Uh, of textures and you know foliage growth too. It's good. Lovely. Yeah. So Great. Yeah. You know, often we talk about problems with plants, but um, I know down at the Cranbourne Gardens they've got a problem with the Calathamnus down there, in that a lot of plants were tra- planted in an area called the Dry River Walk, and they've done brilliantly well. Yeah. And so you know we were on a walk with John Arnott last week, and um, you know they're going to have to speak very sternly to those Calathamnus. <laughs> Um, uh, because <coughs> make yeah. me laugh. They whinge if they can't grow something, and they whinge if they can. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not whinging. Just you know, at times you just need to have another look at your garden, have mm, a look, look yeah. at your plants. Is that doing what I wanted to do, or we wanted to do? If not, you might have to prune it. You might have to do a variety of things. You might even have to remove some and replace mm. some. But that's all part of the, the pleasure of gardening. Of you know, it, is. it goes yeah. on and on. It's a work in progress always. Yeah, yeah. excellent. <laughs> okay, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so um, you've got oh, just under 20 minutes. If you'd like to quickly jump on the phones and give us a call, we have Stephen Ryan and Gwen and Roger Elliott in the studio this morning. That number to speak to the team, 94190155, or to speak to Doug on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, let's have a chat about a couple of your plants, right. because you've got a couple of very unusual looking things at the moment, in particular this one, ah, which has yeah, caught well, my eye. Yeah, now that's a, a plant that came my way virtually by accident. It's something that um, the Teese brothers from Yumina uh, okay. imported originally, um, and it's mulberry. Oh. Um, uh, so, yes, Morris Elba, uh, and it's a variety that goes under the cultivar name of Ho-O. It's <laughs> H-O-O is its cultivar name. Um, and I got it by accident because I, when Don was closing up his nursery, I went up to buy some stock. Right. Um, and I bought some trays of struck cuttings from him. And there was this one bare stick in the tray uh, with roots on it. And I thought, that looks a bit like a mulberry stem there. I'll pop that up and see what it does. And when it came out into leaf, it was this thing that's got the most incredible quilted and, and wrinkled foliage that I've ever seen it's in my amazing. life. And um, took me a while to find out a little bit about it, but I've, I've found it on the net and I've seen images and things of it. And it apparently grows into a sort of multi-stemmed vase-shaped shrub. Uh, its leaves go up. Brilliant yellow in the autumn before they oh, really? shed and drop. I don't know that it fruits, um, and it's it's a shrub, not a tree mulberry. So, uh, but it's texturally, I would say, unique almost, because <laughs> uh, it really has got this incredibly puckered look to the leaf. And it's my only plant of it, so I bought it in just for the fun of it. I, I mean, yes. in due course, I'll propagate from it, of course. Um, but it's fabulous. It is. It's the most remarkable thing. And uh, as a textural shrub in a mixed border, uh, it would look fantastic. Once it's multi, multi-stemmed, yeah. it's going to be stunning. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so Morris Elba 
Ho-ho. Um, I think that's probably what the person said when they saw it. Yeah, well, it could, could be. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm actually quite taken with it. So, uh, as I said, it was only a little struck cutting. Uh, there was a dead-looking stick in the pot when I got the stuff right. from Don a few months ago. Yeah. So now I've got it growing quite well in a 15-centimetre pot, and it's, you know, it's got itself up to about 20 centimetres, maybe 30. Um, so it's growing quite well. Um, whether I'll be game to chop it back for cuttings this coming winter, because I could probably get two or three internodal cuttings out of that if I mm-hmm. hacked it back, but that might be a bit preemptive because I'd really like to actually grow it a bit. Yeah, I'd be inclined to get, at least give it another year. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's just remarkable. I think. But then oh. it might die beforehand, Stephen. Oh, so yeah. you well, yes, then... you've got that, haven't you? That you've got <laughs> when you've only got the one. Yes. Now I haven't talked to Peter Tees about this. Peter may well be growing it and selling it, so he might have it. So I, right. I'll have to have a chat to him in due course. Uh, or it might be something I got from his brother that he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? So anyhow, so I was quite chuffed, and it's it's fun when something sort of unexpected like that comes Absolutely. your way. Um, and yeah, some of the photos I've seen of it on the internet, it looks like a really remarkable looking plant, particularly in the autumn when all the leaves go bright yellow. Wow! So mine's still green as grass at the moment, so it hasn't started to turn. Whereas other things on that mass are definitely going red and yellow and orange at the moment. Right. Um, but I think because it's been growing vigorously, a lot of things when they vigorously keep growing through the summer. They often don't slow down enough to then do their autumn colour thing properly. Mm, so, mm. anyhow, we'll see how it goes. Well, it's so, early days. And, look, I'm assuming since it's Morris Elba, you could probably feed silkworms with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's the other benefits to the plant, potentially, <laughs> although I wouldn't want to take its leaves off to feed to a silkworm. No, person. exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so something really interesting. And there's another one uh, that I have got some cuttings in at the moment, um, Morris Elba Unruyu, which is the zigzaggy one. And okay. it grows, its leaves are the classical Morris Elba shape, so the yes. normal mulberry shape, but the branches zigzag in different directions. And I think the name is Japanese for something like Flying Dragon or something like that. Mm. I think that's, I did look it up and I think it's got a name that means something like that. Because there's a camellia with exactly the same cultivar name that has the wavy sticks. Mm. So, but even Ho-O, I suspect, might be Japanese. Uh, yeah, I think it probably I is. I think it has and, to and, be. And it probably has some sort of meaning. It, you know, it could be mane of the lion. Or, yes. you know, the Japanese generally have rather romantic um, names when you translate them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm quite chuffed with it and it's great fun and I haven't got any to sell but I thought it'd be fun to bring in oh, absolutely. Uh, and show off. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Right, so Good. that's that one. Okay. And the other one I did want to really talk about is this little edible shrub. Uh, it's been smelling me or smelling me out in the van. It smells of strawberries. And strawberries? Yes, it smells of strawberries. And Ooh, if does. you squeeze the centre out, don't eat the skin, just squeeze the centre out into your mouth from where the bud or the stem was. Yes. And have a taste. It is the most delicious flavour. You want to try oh, one? Certainly. Yum. It's the Chilean guava, right? Uh, which was Myrtus uh, agni. Agni, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's now agni molinae. Yeah, that's right. So they've they've changed the name. So it's an agni berry. Yep. And okay. it has the most fabulous sweet mm. flavour. Mm. Um, it's a shrub. Grows to about two metres at max. Mm. Makes a good dwarf hedge. Mm-hmm. So you could trim it up as a hedge. It copes with shade quite well. So <coughs> most edibles seem to, by nature, need a sunny aspect. So to have something that you can eat that will grow in shade, uh, if that's your thing, that you're mm. trying to build up that sort of fruit forest sort of thing in your garden, uh, I think the agni berry could be well worthwhile planting. Mm. It gets little pink 
urn-shaped, almost lily-of-the-valley-like flowers. They're nice flowers. It's a pretty little flower, and it's got a nice, rich, glossy, dark green leaf, often slightly coppery new growth on it. Uh, This one's a bit rangy because it's been in the pot too long, but um, uh, it's a really pretty thing. And the smell of the fruit, when when you've got a big plant in full fruit, it it wafts around the garden, and there's not Mm. many fruits that you can actually smell until you cut them. But if, if, if I was blindfolded and you'd handed that to me, I'd swear you'd given, given me a, an undersized strawberry. Yeah, yeah, the smell is really it's, strawberry-like. It's very strawberry. So uh, I think it's a charming little shrub. It's in the Ericaceae family, so it does like a, an acidic soil. Uh, it doesn't like to get too deadly dry, but it's not water-hungry. Mm. Um, and, and it's a fun thing to have in the garden. You can teach the kids that it's something they can eat, and they can oh. go and pluck them themselves. Well, when I was a kid, I used to, because my parents had one. Oh, ah. right. And, you know, we were always getting stuck into the fruit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can remember as a child up on Mount Macedon because there was lots of them in the old gardens up yeah, there. Yeah, it, yeah. it must have been something that was quite a popular plant at a certain era yeah. uh, and then seemed to disappear a bit. Yeah. But there was an elderly lady up on the mountain that used to make jelly from them. Okay. And so, again, it was one of those things that everybody would hang out for. Mm. Gosh, uh, she'd need an awful lot. Yeah, well, she must have been quite... Um, determined. <laughs> I see it as a browsing fruit. I don't really see it as something yes. you can make use of. Yes. Uh, but she used to make like her... a midgen berry or something. Yeah, They're yeah, really yeah, only yeah, browsing yeah, fruit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have to pick a hell of a lot to make a meal. Yeah. Uh, or a dessert even. Uh, but she used to make this jelly from it. It was a very nice jelly. I remember it being very tasty. Mm. Um, but yes, you would have to be dedicated. But it's a nice shrub, and it's something that's not too hard to grow uh, as long as you're not in a really alkaline area. And as I said, it will cope with a comparatively shady spot. Doesn't like the stinking heat of um, 45 degrees with the howling nor- northwesterly or whatever in summer because it's a chilly, Chilean thing. So yes. it's not used to Australian summers particularly. Um, but it's certainly very growable. And, and I can see it as a, a wonderful little hedge. Do yeah. the birds go for the... They don't berries? seem to bother the berries. I've no, never okay. seen the birds have a crack at the berries. Okay. Uh, so it's not something you've got to suddenly net in a hurry? or. No, don't, well, certainly I've never netted it at home, and the birds get all my quinces, apples, gnashy pears. <laughs> everything else. <laughs> and practically everything else. But they don't seem to touch the ugly berry. Yes. Yeah. And it seems to tolerate heavy, heavy soils, because I know at that stage my parents were living in Strathmore in the volcanic. Oh, quite, yes. Quite yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy soils. Yes, yes, it used to be fine. It was on a bit of a slope, but it was yeah. fine. Yeah, so yeah, reasonably hardy little shrub and something. There was a little push to try and commercialise this plant as an edible thing at one stage, and they were they were going to what were they? They were going to try and sell it as Tassie berry or oh, something. Were they? Yeah, oh. they, they were, somebody was trying to grow them in Tasmania as a, as a as a crop. And I remember I was on a plane somewhere, and I was. I, opened one of those aeroplane um, oh, yes. magazines and there was an article on this Tassie berry uh, and they were talking about it and, you know, what a fantastic, you know, next miracle fruit it was going to be or oh, whatever. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the picture they had was of cranberries. <laughs> <laughs> and I so I, I meant to get in touch with the particular airline and, and let them know that there was a, an incorrect photo with, uh, with this plant that they'd uh, uh, talked about. And I never got round to doing it, and it was a long time ago now. But, yes, uh, and I don't think Tassie berries ever took off, <laughs> funnily enough. But I think it's a great little shrub, and if people want something interesting in their garden, they could do worse than to plant one. Absolutely. Uh, and you'll still see most of the plants around, if they've got a pictorial label, it still seems to say things like Myrtus Ugni on it. Uh, but it is now Ugni Molinae is the botanical name for it. Um, and I've seen it growing in Chile. It, even in the wild, it's probably two and a half, three metres would see it out. Uh, and they grew in big thickets. 
So you okay. had great big thickets mm, of it, and you mm, couldn't mm. fight your way through it. Um, and uh, often grew uh, on really bleak areas, cold, wet, horrible, mm, <laughs> and, and it grew well. Mm. Mm. So there you go. So that's uh, an interesting little shrub that you can eat. Goodness. Um, why All don't right, you go well, ahead? You've got right, a Well, I've got, got one here that's a native. Good. Yes. A dietes. Dietes. Oh. Robertsoniana, which I adore, and I don't know why more people don't grow it. They grow all the South African dietes everywhere, and they're all over the place. But this one from Lord Howe Island is the most statuesque, fantastic plant with these huge, big sword-like leaves. Um, easy to get to two metres, mm. you know, and, and then it gets these big, white, <laughs> iris-like flowers with yellow dots inside. Right. Um, and it, it grows well in shade. It seems to be drought tolerant. It's a little frost insensitive, I find. I've got to be oh, careful it? with it up at Macedon. Well, we got, ours got frosted this year. It did, did it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so right. I've got to be a bit careful. But it, it, it's come back okay. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. And I think it's lovely and it's intriguing that we've got a native Lord Howe <laughs> Island dietes and practically everything else in the, in the genus is from South yeah. Africa. They, they must be different genera. Oh, is that what? Uh, so this might not stay as a day. <laughs> oh, no, no. But it, no, but it is interesting, isn't it? Just you know, biogeography of plants is fascinating. Mm. Just yes. where things. Yeah, how did yes. this thing end up on Lord I Howe Island of all places? <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is. It's a really good plant, and it, I don't think it's used anywhere near enough. I mean, there's no. some lovely clumps of it in the botanic gardens here in Melbourne. I remember. Yeah. Uh, but you don't see it planted terribly much. No. Sometimes it's not as tough as. Uh, South African. Mm. Yeah. If you plant it out in too much sunshine, it does suffer. Go, it's bleached. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yellowy looking yeah. Looking. Yeah. So, but if it gets some protection, just you know, not really hot blasting sun, mm. it's good. Yeah. And. Uh, I must admit, sometimes the, the plants that do become a bit bleached maybe flower better. Yes, yes. Well, there was that. I remember I used to get seed of it from a, a lady who lived down at um, Druin. She had great big ones in her garden, and she used to send me packets of seed every year from yeah. hers because I can't get it to flower and seed it yeah. massive and well. Yeah. Uh, uh, I still enjoy the foliage, and I get the occasional flower, mm. but it never seems to set any seed pods because I think we're too cool. Mm. Uh, so I had to get seed from outside to, to keep growing it. Uh, but I think it's a great plant, and you know I'm not a great believer in strappy gardens, I have to say, I'm tired of strappy leaf gardens. I think I've heard you say that before. Yes, the monocot monotony. Um, (laughs) But this is a really good structural plant with big gutsy leaves on it. Um, And I think, you know, if you happen to be in the botanic gardens when these are in flower, they'll knock your socks off. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful Mm. plant. It's a Mm. plant that tolerates a bit of salt spray too. Mm. Um, Okay. Because on Lord Howe, you know, in some of the places, it just keeps getting salt spray all the time. Yeah. Yes. So, it, yeah, so um, it could be a good coastal plant yeah, in semi-shade, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. I knew you were coming in, so I thought I'd just prove to you that I do have a, <laughs> a, an interest in some of our native plants. Oh, look, I, I know you've got a lovely pink and noctuous and other things. Yeah. Oh, yes, I've got all sorts of stuff up there. Um, and, and I've got some gorgeous leatherwoods. I've got some, some of those ones that Ken Galander's oh, um, yeah. okay. selected. So I've got... Gillander's Rose and Leatherwood Cream and yeah. Ballerina and he selected a heap of different Leatherwood um, mm. selections mm. and they're, they're gorgeous So, but I do stick normally with the cold climate natives only because of where I come from yeah probably mm. where you are that yeah, makes sense it does make sense that's just so true the dietes the Lord Howe Lil flowers mm. um, in the garden just behind the benches at um, Karanga nursery ah, yes. of Mount Evelyn and that Every year, just about flowers there. It's behind the benches of grassy plants. Oh, yes, I know and, what you mean. And um, mm. just under some trees there, and that usually flowers quite well. And I know 
they collect the seed off them. Yeah. And, but, yeah, grows well. Mm. Mm. So there you go. Uh, two messages from the outside line. Firstly, Thomas wanted to know if Mifkus are, are ever going to have five-day passes. Well, they they haven't had up until now, yeah. so I doubt it. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So no to that one. And Nita would like to know for her son if any listeners in the Bendigo area have stock plants of yucca ivory towers that he could get leaf cuttings from. And she's left us uh, a mobile number, which I presume means that um, we have permission to give that out. Uh, If you do happen to have that and you'd be happy for him to get some leaf cuttings, the number is 0409-232-124. I'll give that again, 0409-232-124. Well, okay, yes. All right, well, uh, we've got a we've few got a couple more minutes, more minutes so, so, all right, so we'll go through another one. Yep. Um, as the national collection holder of the genus Sambucus, uh, I thought I'd bring in one. Good. Um, the elderflowers are an interesting group of plants. They, I have to warn people they can get weedy in certain areas, so be aware. Um, but they're a very useful group of shrubs. They're deciduous, they're quick-growing. Uh, there's a whole variety of different forms of them. Uh, you can make champagnes and cordials out of the flowers. You can make wine and jams out of the berries. You can make panpipes out of the stems. And they keep witches away. Um, <laughs> what more could you want? Yeah, exactly. It has everything going for it. Um, this particular one isn't really a particularly good one for its uh, edible purposes because it doesn't flower all that prolifically okay. or fruit all that prolifically. But it looks gorgeous. I mean, and I, don't often, I don't often say that. About variegations. About variegations. Yeah. But that one is really yeah. delicate and pretty. It's the marbled elderflower bush and it grows to about two metres at max. Uh, it's an open, airy, light shrub uh, and its leaves are more white than they are green. They're, just, they're white with green spots virtually. Yes. Uh, and if it's in a semi-shaded aspect oh. it just stands out up. superbly. It's yep. just gorgeous. Uh, gorgeous. It will burn in hot sun so you okay. do need to be a bit careful of it. Um, uh, it can be pruned back on a regular basis if you feel the need to do so. It will still get the white flowers in little clusters and you will get occasional crops of blackberries on it but it's really an ornamental plant um, basically it's not one that I would plant if I was actually going to go into major cordial production okay um, we did this year by the way we did cordial oh, well done. from the elderflower collection and we well got done. about 20 bottles we ended oh, up making oh. you know those Bickford yes. cordial bottles we had a whole pile of those out in the shed and we used those and we've been using our own cordial ever since Wonderful. The it's been great fun. Terrific. Yeah. I have to say though we ended up with an awfully sticky kitchen <laughs> for a while there. <laughs> I uh, yes there was sugary stuff everywhere. Oh. But um, yeah so that's from my national collection which is held by a plant trust um, of Sambucus that I grow in my own garden and I think I've got about 18 or 19 different species and cultivars of Sambucus yep. now. Yep. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Great shrubs. I won't let you go, Roger, until you quickly talk about this fantastic plant because uh, the fire more people should grow it. Yeah, the, and if people are going to grow a firewheel tree, they must realise that they're going to have seven years or maybe 15 years before it flowers. Yep. Oh, that's a good thing to plant when you turn 80 then because yeah, it's something is. to live for. It is. That's right. <laughs> but then you'll have lovely foliage. It's a nice foliage plant. Sometimes the leaves are divided. But the firewheel tree is Stenocarpus. Sinuatus. It's almost a romantic sounding name. It is. It? It so, is. Some it names are lyrical. Good. I like Enkilina tomentosa, yeah. which ah. is just a, one of the little <laughs> chenopod things. Yeah. Okay. But um, so firewheel trees, yeah, 
from tropics do well in Melbourne. There's some magnificent plants in the Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. Um, huge plants and mm. they're in flower now. They mainly flower, you know, late summer, autumn, but sometimes they'll go into winter. And uh, if people don't know the, the colour of the flower and the shape of the flower, they're like a wheel. Hence the fire wheel. Fire is because they're reddish, oh, and uh, they've got a, got a bit of yellow and or greenish in the flower. But the the flower heads can be they, these are around about uh, three inches or so, but they can get much bigger than that. Mm. They might get to five inches across, and uh, but they're just a lovely tree uh, to plant for long term. Brilliant. Good. And I'm sure Mr. Google's got lots of photos. Oh, of yes. Oh, yes. And there are other stenocarpuses, one called the Valleoides. The juvenile one is just like a fern. There's one from the... We from have to go, <laughs> Stephen. Yeah, we actually yeah. have to go. Would oh, you damn. Believe? I was just getting in. I know, I know. I have to stop you. But uh, we have run out of time for another day. Ron, in Templestowe, if you'd like to ring back next week... Uh, we'll be able to take your call then. You have been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show and we will be back next week. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.